Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. The same glory at work in us. The same glory displayed in your church. Because of you, Jesus. Because of your obedience to death on a cross. Now you are highly exalted. At the right hand of your Father. Be exalted in our hearts and be lifted high on the praises of your people because you are worthy and you are holy. Jesus, help us through your Holy Spirit to understand God's power at work in us and his love for us first displayed in your work on the cross and in your resurrection. Help us to understand how wide, how long, how deep, and how high the love of God is for us. And help us to pray that for each other. As we pass the baton to the next generations, praying for them that they would understand your power at work in us, first displayed to the heavenly realms. We thank you that you're at work in your people. Continue to work even now in this room as we begin to hear your word. Let it stir in us. Holy Spirit, convict us and then move in us and allow us to obey your word and to be yielded to you. Saying, wherever you go, I'll go. Whatever you do, I'll do. Work through Pastor Rick. Give him boldness, give him clarity, give him wisdom. And give us ears to hear. Thank you, God, for your power at work in us and your love displayed in your son Jesus on the cross. And your continued work through your Holy Spirit 
at work in our lives. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. And all God's people said, amen. And amen. You can be seated as we continue in worship. 2005, they dropped the baton. In 2009, they were disqualified. In 2011, they fell to the ground. In fact, the Washington Post has a list of several occasions where the USA team has dropped, been disqualified, or fumbled the baton during the relays. The list is quite long and goes as far back as 1912, the most recent incident being the Tokyo Olympics. I want to make this clear, the point of this video is not to bash these athletes. These individuals are champions and deserve the utmost respect for their athletic ability. How hard is a baton handoff? Well... We're focusing on a baton, dropping the baton in a relay. You've spent years training. You are superb athletes. You're running this race, and somehow the baton drops. You're devastated. You you look down at the baton. You know what that means. Even if you were to pick it up and, and start running again, oh, you'd be so far behind. Passing the baton seems simple, right? Isn't it just handing it off? You letting go and the next person grabbing it, and then you continue on in the race. So why is the Apostle Paul passing the baton, the gospel? He knows the gospel. We know the gospel in the church. It seems so simple. But what the apostle saw is that it's really easy to drop when we pass it on. So he writes a letter to Timothy. Can you imagine Timothy's excitement when he got that parchment? That rolled up animal skin? Oh, he heard it was from Paul. And and he, he grabbed it. It probably looked different than all the other parchments simply because it was written in a dungeon. What kind of supplies could he have? I bet it was dirty and and even stained and even hard to read at times. And Paul's penmanship, (laughs) he's older. It's waning. But Timothy probably took this letter, this cherished letter, and read it quickly at first. And then he enjoyed it, line by line, again and again and again, while sipping his coffee. Nothing seemed new in the letter. In fact, he had heard the message hundreds of times over the 10 years that he had spent with Paul as he traveled around. Paul's words were direct, and he reminded Timothy to focus on God's life-transforming truth, the news, so that he could pass it on. To be quite honest, Timothy had to feel the gravity of this assignment. But there's a danger here. 
You, you can open up your Bibles to the book of 2 Timothy or your electronic devices. And most of you know that Timothy was a pastor. And hey, wait a minute. Um, Timothy is just for pastors. They're just for leaders. Well, in some ways, yes. But in other ways, 2 Timothy is so much more than a letter to a church leader. So I would say, belt up, get ready. We're going to go for a ride today. But before we do, let's just review a little bit about the Apostle Paul. We went into a whole lot of depth last week, but Paul whose name originally was Saul, was at the pinnacle of his life when he came to faith going to Damascus. He was going to Damascus to destroy the church, to imprison and kill all Christians that he met. But Jesus showed up. He met Jesus, and it absolutely changed his life from then on. In fact, as you read many of Paul's letters, I'm pretty sure it was this event that fueled his passion for life. The sacrifices, his message. He would always talk about the time, how wonderful it was when God changed him, changed his perspective, changed his priorities. Changed everything in his life because he was once dead and now he's alive. God's grace overwhelmed the apostle. Then he spent the next 10 or 12 years rather privately. We don't know a whole lot what went on except that God was preparing him for, for public ministry. When it was time for him to begin to plant churches, Paul... And you're going to find out for many of the trips, Timothy, well, they spent 7,000 miles traveling. <laughs> they walked. They went on donkeys. They, they probably got pulled in carts or maybe on a camel and, and often traveled via a boat. But this was important. This was something that the apostle knew would change lives. He wanted to get the word out. He wanted to plant churches. He wanted people to understand how amazing his God was. Paul was imprisoned and scourged and beaten and stoned and shipwrecked all while he was planting these churches. God used Paul to write at least 13 books of the Bible. And right now, as he writes this letter, he's in the worst of all Roman dungeons. <laughs> the only way you can get in is through a roof. There was no way to get rid of any of the waste or any of the garbage. Then there was Timothy. Timothy probably came to faith on Paul's first missionary journey, the first one that he set out. Timothy probably responded. Well, he gathered a great reputation, even though he was young, and he began traveling with Paul on his second and third missionary journeys. These journeys took 5,500 miles. 
Now, the thing that stuck out to me, and we focused on it a little bit last week, is that Paul required Timothy to get circumcised. Now, again, it's a little bit uncomfortable of a topic, but what I'd like to say is this, is that up to this point, uh, the Jews had this sign, this circumcision, as a covenant or as a promise to say, hey, hey, God, I'm part of your people. But when Christ came, circumcision was no longer a requirement. And what stuck out to me was this, is the apostle Paul had this young man, and he told him of the well, trips they were going to go on, and they would go into Jewish communities, they would go into Greek communities, and he basically said this, hey, Timothy, we don't want to offend anybody. I'd like you to get circumcised. For no other reason other than we want to be more effective in ministry. Timothy, listen. He understood this message was important to him. The scriptures tell us that Timothy spent three years with Paul at the church of Ephesus, which was the thriving church at that time. Paul had also asked Timothy to deliver, well, a letter he wrote to the Corinthian church. It was the first letter it was a church that was struggling. It was a church that was going through really hard times. And Paul had to write a really hard letter. And the guy he chose to take it was Timothy. Oh, he, he trusted Timothy. And you may not even know this, but Timothy co-authored underneath the, the, the Spirit's guiding and, and leading the book of Romans. Paul and Timothy were amazing. What a team. But Paul was dying. <laughs> he didn't know for sure, but it, it kind of looked like it was going that direction. Oh, he wanted to make sure his young pastor friend was set up. I'm glad you're here today. I think you're going to be encouraged. You are going to be convicted. You are going to leave here. Well, understanding how wonderful this gospel is and the privilege that's really been given to each one of us. But let's pray first. Let's pray. Father, I, I thank you for the opportunity we can to open up your word, your inspired word. Every word in this Bible, God, has been given to us so that we might understand who you are, to guide us and direct us and to help us understand how to do life. God, we thank you for this book. And we pray as we open it up that you would open our hearts up. Lord, I, I think in some ways the words are so simple. So, Father, <coughs> would we hear your voice would we respond to your words? And would you change us? Would you change me? Would you change us? 
Father, I know there's so many other churches right now that are proclaiming your word. There are so many other churches that are encouraging the flock. We think, Father, uh, especially of Casa de Oracion and Lifespring and the Orchard at McHenry. We pray for those congregations and those pastors. We pray that those flocks would be strengthened. Lord, I know there's a plethora of kids who are downstairs, <laughs> all different ages. We have teachers that love you and desire deeply to help our kids walk with you better, understand who you are. We pray for them. We pray for the ministries that will happen this coming week. And we know, God, that you are working and you are active. So open our hearts, open our eyes. In Jesus' name, amen. We're in 2 Timothy chapter 1, and if you would turn your Bibles there, we ended our time last week in chapter 1 at verse 5, with Paul focusing on Timothy's faith. He had seen Timothy's faith. I got to imagine that it was growing through all the years that Paul spent with him. But Paul said, I remember your genuine faith, and I want you to keep the faith. This is going to be critical in the days to come. Because oftentimes, faith is the point where the enemy loves to attack us, to bring doubt. The enemy's strategy isn't new. But doubt seems to hamstring us, seems to put us on the sidelines, seems to make us timid, puts us fearful. And so Paul just says, hey, Timothy, you've got some amazing faith. Keep nurturing your faith. And then today, our text, starting at verse 6. You can follow along on the screen if you don't have a Bible. This is why I remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid my hands on you. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power and love and self-discipline. So never be ashamed to tell others about our Lord. And don't be ashamed of me, Paul writes, even though I'm in prison for him. With the strength God gives you, be ready to suffer with me for the sake of the good news. For God saved us and called us to live a holy life. He did this not because we deserved it, but because that was his plan from the beginning of time. To show us his grace through Jesus Christ. And now he has made all this plain to us by the appearing of Christ Jesus, our Lord, or Christ Jesus, our Savior. He broke the power of death and illuminated the way to life and immortality through the good news. He he starts off saying this, fan into flames your God-given gift. Now, before we go further, I I feel like we need to at least briefly talk about what are God-given gifts? What are spiritual gifts? Now, the best place I can go would be in 1 Corinthians because the church at Corinth was struggling with their understanding of gifts. 
God had taught them. Their teachers had set them up well. But they didn't understand this whole spiritual gift thing. So if you would, turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Or again, you can look on the screen behind me. And we'll start reading at verse 4. There are different kinds of spiritual gifts. But the same Spirit is the source of them all. There are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but it is the same God who does the work in all of us. A spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. To one person, the Spirit gives the ability to give wise advice. To another, the same Spirit gives a message of special knowledge. The same Spirit gives great faith to another, and to someone else, the one Spirit gives the gift of healing. He gives one person the power to perform miracles, and another the ability to prophesy. He gives someone else the ability to discern whether a message is from the Spirit of God or from another spirit. Still another person is given the ability to speak in unknown languages, while another is given the ability to interpret what is being said. It is the one and only Spirit who distributes all these gifts. He alone decides which gift each person should have. Let me try to give you some basics here. This isn't going to go into great depth, but it will give you a good idea. When you come to faith, when anybody comes to faith, each believer is given at least one gift. You are given something in order for you to be able to serve others and to be able to build up the body. Now, there are portions of Scripture, and as you look at even the screen before you, in 1 Corinthians 12, and if you go all the way to 1 Corinthians 14, so chapters 12, 13, and 14, you'll also find more information in Romans 12, in Ephesians 4, and in 1 Peter 4. There's a lot of text there, but it will help you understand that there are lots of gifts and that our God desires deeply for his bride, his church to thrive. So when you are part of a church, you're able to use your gifts to strengthen the body. Now, secondly, the Holy Spirit determines who receives which gifts. It's amazing because every one of us, especially those who are in ministry or or those that desire to serve God in a full-time capacity, um, they look at their gifts in a way where they say, oh, well, maybe I could be this person or maybe I could serve in this area. Well, the truth is, there are some gifts that look a little bit more attractive, some gifts that maybe more people know about, but the truth is, is that we as individuals don't determine what gifts or what strengths or what talents that each one of us have. God, in his great wisdom, knows how to gift each one of us. We also have to realize that every gift is equally valuable. One gift doesn't supersede a different one. 
We also need to understand that spiritual gifts are given to be used in the strengthening of the church or the body. Gifts aren't given so that you might get accolades. Gifts are given so that you and I might be able to serve others. And then lastly, again, in our quick summary, is that we are commanded to use our gifts. We all have been given gifts, and God says, I put you in a certain church, I've given you certain gifts, and I would like you to serve others using the gifts that you have. In 1 Peter chapter 4, starting at verse 10, uh, Peter writes this. God has given each of you a gift, speaking to believers, from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve others. Do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself were speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? Do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies. Then Peter writes, everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Peter right here, I think, helps us understand because he seems to refer to two categories of gifts. There are speaking gifts in ministering gifts. And again, we're trying to make this not complicated, but understandable. I would also call them platform gifts or support gifts, or gifts where you're up front of people or you're working behind the scenes often. Now, the truth is, is that we sometimes as believers... Uh, get hung up in trying to distinguish between talents and gifts. Well, wait, if I can sing, is that a talent or is that a gift? Well, I honestly know that God at the time of salvation, and for me, it was very young. I'm five or six years old. And God gave me a gift or gifts at that time, just like everyone else in this room who has come to faith. Now, to be quite honest, when I'm five or six, I'm not understanding the greatest potential. I'm not understanding all that God has done at that moment. And yet someone that comes to faith at 25 years old, sometimes the changes and the gifting is dramatic. And you can understand that a little clearer. So I don't think we can fit gifts neatly in a box and put a bow on it. There are even probably more gifts, if you read all the way through the scriptures, that are listed or broader categories. Ultimately, what I'd like to say is this, is God has given each one of us everything we have. Whether you call it a talent or a gift. And we have been given it so we could glorify, we could magnify, we could point people to Jesus. Now, I do think it's important to know your gifts, or basically the way I would put it, uh, understand how you are wired. 
I think there is value in using spiritual gift discovery tools or asking godly friends to help you discern. And I would like to even say this, is is that we love for you to fill out connect cards and if we can help you grow in different areas. But even in trying to understand where you fit in a church or what your gifts are, we can meet with you as a staff and help you discern how God has put you together if you have questions. There's also a plethora of spiritual gift assessments on the web, and we can point you to that. I also believe it's helpful and practical to look at other factors when talking about ministry. Things like your passion, what drives you, or your personality, are you an introvert or extrovert, or the experience that God's given you in life. Now, there are two large churches that I think have developed some really amazing tools. Willow Creek is one, and Saddleback is another. Willow's developed something called the network, and it's really helpful. Uh, And I've used that over the years with people, even for myself. Saddleback came up with something called SHAPE. And again, it's the same thing. It's looking at God-given spiritual gifts, but also God-given personalities and passion and, and experiences. So let me say this so we can move on. Ultimately, I think God says, humbly use whatever you've been given to strengthen the church. Let's jump back to our text in 2 Timothy. Um, We started off Paul writing to Timothy in verse 6. Fan into flame the spiritual gifts that you have. Timothy, you're a pastor, I know. You seem to be a little timid and fearful at this moment. But what I want you to understand is fan into flame. Now, if any of you are outdoorsmen or love making fires, the idea is this. There's some coals there. There's not a a blazing fire. And you're going to put some more kindling on it. You're going to fan it. You're going to blow on it. And it's going to get a little hotter. And then all of a sudden the the flame will start. And you'll start adding wood and, and start giving it fuel. It's a great picture because what the apostle is saying, hey, discover and develop the gifts you have. There's a uh, bed of coals there. Blow on it. Get this going so that you might be able to use the gifts that God's given you. Now, Timothy knew what gift he had. And so Paul was saying, you can do this, Timothy, You can do this. Even though you're a leader right now, even though you're a pastor, I'm not sure what the hesitation is right now, but Timothy, you can do this. You don't have to be fearful. You don't have to be timid in life or ministry. What I want you to do, Timothy, I'm reminding you, train in godliness and teach. I want you to make sure you walk with God, and I want you to use your gifts. 
Now, if you turn just back to the book before, it's 1 Timothy. It was written a few years before 2 Timothy was written, but I think it'll give us a little bit of insight. 1 Timothy chapter 4, starting at verse 7. Let me read it to you. Timothy, don't waste time arguing over godless ideas and old wives' tales. Instead, train yourself to be godly. Physical training is good, working out, in other words. But training for godliness is much better, promising benefits in this life and in the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. That is why we work hard and continue to struggle, for our hope is in the living God, who is the Savior of all people, particularly of all believers. Paul is saying, don't waste your time, Timothy. There are certain things that are in life. They're good. It's not bad to work out in this case. But what I want you to understand is that training in godliness is much better. Don't get distracted with all the things that seem to, well, grab your attention. Because, Timothy, ministry overflows from godliness. Ministry happens when you have a great relationship with God. So walk with God. Let God chip away the areas that don't reflect him well so you and I can mirror God to others well. Paul says we work on this connecting, this depending on God. But we struggle because we like control. We like authority. If you even go back to John 15 when Jesus used this illustration, saying, I am the vine, you are the branches. You cannot bear fruit apart from me. Stay connected with me. You want to bear fruit? You want to be effective in ministry? Stay connected to the vine. And then boldly, he says, our hope is in the living God. Our hope is in the Savior. And then continue on here in verse 11. Teach these things, Timothy, and insist that everyone learn them. Don't let anyone think less of you because you're young. Be an example to all believers in what you say and in the way you live and in your love and in your faith and in your purity. Until I get there, Timothy, focus on reading the scriptures to the church, encouraging the believers, and teaching them. Even though you're young, Timothy, show them the value of spending time with God. Show them what godliness looks like. It affects your life. It affects the way you speak. Because, Timothy, godly people live life differently. They have different priorities. They have different language. They have different ways to spend their money and different ways to fill up their calendars. And teach, teach them. Teach them that our only hope is in the living God. And then he ends up this little section, starting at verse 14, and this is where I wanted to end up here, or, or at least before we jump back. Do not neglect the spiritual gift you 
received. Through the prophecy spoken over you, when the elders of the church laid their hands on you, give your complete attention to these matters. Throw yourself into the task so that everyone will see your progress. Keep a close watch on how you live and your teaching. Stay true to what is right for the sake of your own salvation and the salvation of those who hear you. Don't neglect that spiritual gift. I was there earlier. The elders surrounded you. We knew that you had teaching and leadership abilities. Don't be shy. Use the gift. Don't get distracted. Don't focus on other things. You know, it was really interesting. And this happened in the early stages of the church. Uh, the church was exploding. The church was growing in Acts. And, and the church leadership got, well, involved in all kinds of things, including feeding program or a benevolence program, taking care especially of the widows, which is a good thing. But what happened in Acts chapter 6 God gave them a little bit of insight. And they said, hey, why don't you pick a group of people who are godly, who walk with God, but their main priority is to take care of the food program, the the care of the people. We would call them deacons in our church so that you, you leaders, you pastors, can spend time teaching in praying. Oh my. There are so many things that can distract us. And it doesn't matter what your gift is. And every one of us serve or work outside of our gifted times. I get that. But it's this consistent type of ministry that God is talking about. He's saying, hey, I've gifted you. I've sent you to a specific church. You are going to make an impact. This is your assignment. Don't get distracted about it. And it's so interesting. One of the reasons you need Timothy to focus on your godliness and teaching is that you and your church's salvation depend on it. Say, well, wait a minute. Are we talking about justification or going to heaven? No. What we're talking about right here is sanctification or abundant living. What Paul is saying is this. You want to live abundantly? You want power over sin? Do you want to be able to live underneath Satan's kind of authority in your life? No. You want to be abundant You want to enjoy life. Well, you know what? You need to be able to teach people about the gospel and about what God does in every one of our lives because your salvation, the joy of abundant living, is going to depend on you obeying this and your people obeying this. You see, our salvation is so robust. It's amazing. And God's grace overwhelms us when we understand all that God has done. But when we come to faith, we are freed from the penalty of sin. We don't 
have to be separated or even spend eternity in hell. (laughs) It's a deal. But we're also free from the power of sin. We don't have to be a slave to that anymore. Which are always the consequences is death. And eventually we'll be freed from the presence of sin as we spend eternity with our Father in glory forever and ever. Then Paul kind of closes up this section starting at verse 8 back in 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 8. So never be ashamed to tell others about the Lord. And don't be ashamed of me either. Even though I'm in prison for him. With the strength God gives you, be ready to suffer with me for the sake of the good news. For God saved us and called us to live a holy life, a pure life. He did this not because we deserved it. Because it was his plan from before the beginning of time to show us his grace through the Lord Jesus or through Christ Jesus. Never be ashamed, Paul says, to tell others about Jesus or even me. Be ready to suffer. God gives you grace and strength and endurance. And remember, Paul's writing from a dungeon. He wants Timothy to remember, even though life could get hard for him, persecution could arise. He says, remember, God saved you. That's the gospel. Remember, God has called you to live a holy life so you can enjoy God's presence and share this hope with others. Paul said God's plan became so crystal clear once Jesus came. We're living a little bit in a fog, but once Christ came, once God revealed himself through Jesus, and he paid our debt on the cross, and he was raised from the dead and given us, well, abundant and eternal life. It was Jesus who broke the power of death and showed us life. So what Paul is saying, never, 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 never be ashamed The gospel is practical for both the believer and the unbeliever. To the lost, the gospel is the message of salvation and hope. For believers, the gospel reminds them of their relationship with God, their present power, and their eternal future. So if you're ashamed of the gospel, and we all are at times, if we're ashamed to talk about a relationship with God, if we're ashamed to tell the good news to other people who are dying and drowning, I would say this. We have a poor understanding of drowning and a Savior. Because the truth is, everyone who rejects or does not accept Christ as Savior, is drowning. And if they die, they will be separated from God forever. Now, I don't know if you've seen anybody drowned or or watch anyone struggle in the water, but to be quite honest, there's quite desperation. Maybe in the beginning they're okay, but as they get tired... 
they're starting to look around and there's no hope. They start screaming. They start yelling. They're hoping and their actions get a little bit harder and, and they're trying to stay on top and trying to catch breath. Their only hope is a lifeguard. Their only hope is another boat. Their only hope is a, is a line. Their only hope is a submarine, all right, to come up underneath them. That is Jesus. And when we understand that so many people around us are in that ocean, and they don't have hope. It may look at times like they're fine, but they are drowning, and we have the opportunity to tell them about Jesus, our Savior, who is the only hope for today and tomorrow. You see, it's all about the gospel. It's all about the good news. It's all about how Jesus has transformed us, the grace that he has dumped on us. Timothy, don't forget this. Make sure you understand the gospel. Make sure you walk with our Lord. Make sure that you tell others. Timothy, do you remember how God changed you? Timothy, I remember how God changed me. <laughs> I, I'm so different. And I'm so grateful. You see, passing the baton is simple when we've passed from death unto life. And we remember that. If we remember what life was before Jesus and what a rich relationship with Jesus gives us right now, we're not that quiet because we do want others to know. We want others to experience that. And he's, again, sharing with Timothy, who spent about 5,500 miles on the road with him, watching Paul talk about the gospel, watching life transformation happen, watching churches get planted all over. But Timothy's a little timid right now. Timothy's been in the church for about three years. Timothy might have been beat up. And Paul's saying from prison, Timothy, Tim, Pastor Tim, don't forget. The words, the faith that we have are life transforming. Oh, give that out. And help people keep passing on the baton. But we all get distracted, don't we? Sometimes we're distracted, we're too busy to get to know our God. Sometimes we forget the mess that God saved us out of. I'd like you, if you would, just, would you just shut your eyes? Would you just all just bow your heads and why don't you just be quiet before God and be able to just talk to God. Just ask God, Lord, I'm not 
that excited, or I am excited, or, or Father, I want to get to know you better, or Lord, I don't know you. Why don't you just have an honest conversation with God right now? Maybe you're very gifted. Maybe God's given you so much, and you just haven't been using it. Let's just be quiet. Let God talk to you. You talk back and forth. And in just a moment, I'll pray. Father, I think I think the enemy works really hard on us at times. I, I think the enemy distracts us, not even with <laughs> things that are evil much of the time. It just keeps us busy. And when we're busy, Father, we have a tendency to forget the life he gave us and how precious it is. Lord, would you rekindle the fire in our souls? Help us connect with you. Help us spend time with you. Help us not forget what you saved us from. And Lord, would we encourage others Would we use our gifts? Would we pass on the gospel? Would we encourage others, Lord? Would we pass the baton well? God, we all need reminders. Just like this young pastor needed a reminder. Thanks for your grace. Thanks for your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and respond, loved.